Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Burn Your Draft, an exploration of the Reed College senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Frank Tangerlini, and this week we'll be talking with Soha Ahmed. Is history repeating itself? Today we'll hear from Soha on China's Belt and Road Initiative, an initiative often described as the 21st century Silk Road and its effect on foreign investment in sub-Saharan Africa. To begin, do you want to just say your name, where you're from, what department major you're in? This question says where you're at in the thesis process, but you finished the thesis. So, and then the title of your thesis. Yeah. So my name is Soha Ahmed. Um, I am an econ major. My thesis is titled The Impact of China's Belt and Road Initiative on Foreign Direct Investment Flows to Sub-Saharan Africa. Was that all the? Oh, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what that thesis is about. It's a hefty title you have. <laughs> yes, it's long. It's all like abbreviated in the title, so it doesn't like flow into many lines. Uh, yeah, I so basically I wanted to think about how China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically sort of like a, a recreation of the Silk Road and like the trade route and how that how that was going to impact Sub-Saharan Africa and the way that Sub-Saharan Africa is connected is obviously there's the economic belt, which is like the recreation of the Silk Road, but then there's also a uh, maritime road that kind of extends down Southeast Asia and also like around the eastern coast of Africa. And that expansion of the Belt and Road Initiative is pretty new, um, but I wanted to focus on the interaction between the Belt and Road Initiative and Sub-Saharan Africa just because there, there are a few things that kind of caught my attention, but the initiative as a whole is really um, focused on investing vast amounts of money in infrastructure and in a such an underdeveloped part of the world that's really important so it seems like a really um, it seems like an initiative that could be very helpful for sub-saharan africa but at the same time there's a lot of worries about china being a predatory lender that could um, increase the amount of defaults that we see around the world and so there was just there's this tension about how the Belt and Road Initiative could function in, in an underdeveloped, underdeveloped part of the world. And so I wanted to explore that. Was your thesis then the debate between like the initiative, what's going on on either side, or did it cover more what the actual initiative is? Yeah, so I, there's a lot of like opinion pieces out there or kind of people that are throwing out different ideas about how what the political motivation or economic motivation behind the initiative is and I wanted to just take a more quantitative look at what was happening so I wanted to see if um, China's investment in sub-Saharan Africa through the Belt and Road Initiative was either crowding in or crowding out foreign direct investment as a whole from around the world so I didn't really have expectations of uh, whether it would you know, go in a positive or negative direction if it was going to crowd in or crowd out or maybe have no impact at all. Um, but I just wanted to see what I could find through the limited data that I could kind of gather. What kind of data sets were those? How did you uh, collect this data or where did you find it? Yeah, so it was hard because there's no 
of data set from China that specifically says this is all the investment investment that we do for the Belt and Road Initiative. It was just uh, we found a few statistical like yearbook sort of or bulletins from China and we ordered those and we could we could look at their total investment in Sub-Saharan Africa and each individual country in the region. Um, and then I decided to compare that data with U.S. data and how the U.S. invests to try to figure out Chinese investment patterns overall before I could go deeper into my question of whether Chinese investment was affecting um, total investment in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, did you work with anyone on this? Did you, like, who was your thesis advisor? Yeah, Denise Hare was my thesis advisor. Um, and so I was really, yeah, I was excited to work with her because I took development with her, with development um, econ class. And that's kind of where I was, got excited about kind of thinking about, thinking about a thesis that would be focused on more international development um, topics. So beyond that, is there any other reasons why you chose this topic? I decided to uh, think about this topic because I was interested in more international and development econ for sure. Um, but also, I think China, it's been an interesting few years with, you know, the debate between U.S. and China and just like the both politically and economically. And I just thought it would be an interesting and relevant topic to focus on. So that was also definitely a, a motivator. Yeah, that's that's a great motivation. Um, what was the outcome of your thesis? What did you figure out? And was it different than what you expected when you started? Yeah, so I definitely had to take a step back. My initial question was, how is the Belt and Road Initiative impacting investment as a whole in Sub-Saharan Africa? Um, but before I could do that, you know, there's a lot of ambiguity about what Chinese investment even looks like in the region. So we took a step back and tried to figure that out first. Um, and that made the process a little bit longer. Um, but what we ended up finding in terms of that first question of what does Chinese investment look like, it was it was clear that it was just like a bunch of other authors that I had read had said that it was, you know, it's very ambiguous. It doesn't follow the literature. It's hard to understand what China's doing in the first place. It was interesting that we found that even though China doesn't follow the literature in choosing which countries to invest in, once they have invested in a country, they follow the literature a little bit better. And then the U.S. was doing the complete opposite of that. So that was interesting. And there's still a lot of questions about what is driving China. So that was sort of the first step and the first broad finding. And then I moved into thinking about or modeling how um, how the Belt and Road Initiative was affecting FDI overall in the region. And we basically found that both uh, Chinese investment through the Belt and Road Initiative and the US investment overall in Sub-Saharan Africa was crowding out investment from other countries, which was surprising because you would think that people are following what the US is doing at least, and then maybe more just like skeptical of what China's doing. So I was surprised by the US finding um, and I didn't know what I would find with China, but I found that it crowded, crowded out investment as well. Yeah, so crowding out means that as the U.S. invested more, the rest of the world, uh, not including U.S. and China, the rest of the world would invest less. So wherever the Belt and Road Initiative was or wherever the U.S. was, other countries would invest less wherever they were present in Sub-Saharan Africa. 
Interesting. So with China's investment in sub-Saharan Africa, that crowded out other countries from investing, including the United States or excluding the United States? Excluding the United States. Yeah, the U.S. and China are two of some of the biggest investors in the region. So initially, I wanted to look at other countries as well, but obviously, that would have taken a lot more time. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of time, did you feel at all crunched by COVID-19 during your process? Or did were you already clear, kind of just finishing up the last few things by the time that took effect? Yeah, I think I was going to say most of my data work was done, but that's not true. Some of my like quantitative stuff was still going. I redid the models a few times and so I would meet with my advisor with Denise on like Friday mornings for like a chunk of time for like an hour and a half or two hours to try to get those last few models like run and set so that I could really write about them. Um, so that was in the first couple of weeks I think or maybe the first month and then it was okay. So I, I think it was a little bit I think I had done most of the work, so it didn't feel too stressful, but definitely strange to be running those regressions on like two different computers. We were trying to figure out how we could both see the same thing. Uh, what kind of models did you use? How did you model the data? Yeah, so I used data um, and then I uploaded all my data to that and we ended up using a couple of different uh, statistical models. So a seemingly unrelated regression model and then fixed effects model um, and so the seemingly unrelated model was looking at how the U.S. and how U.S. and China choose which countries to invest in and then the fixed effects model would, would basically uh, control for like country specific effects and then look at how um, changes within a country would impact how the U.S. and China would would go forward with how they're investing in that specific country. So other than being displaced halfway through a semester, did you have any other unexpected challenges throughout the thesis process? I think I hadn't really written much in econ, and so that was sometimes a challenge that I hadn't really thought about. It's definitely a different sort of writing than you would do in like a Hume class or an English class. Um, and so that was different. Um, I guess I didn't really expect that as much, but it was really nice to have the time, um, especially once you get like a lot of your data work done or like early on when you're just doing literature review to to write and then talk to your advisor and get the feedback. And I knew Denise was really good about like communicating how to like edit my my writing. And so I was excited to work with her on that. And I felt like slowly I was able to just be more concise and to the point and get the the insights that I needed to from what I was reading um, in a balanced way without you know going it over interpreting something uh, more than needed to be. So what skills did you acquire or strengthen during this experience other than learning how to write for econ? Yeah um, I got to really work with data for the first time like from like gathering it to figuring out what the question was and like how to 
you know, use data and which figuring out methodology that was all really new, but I was excited for that. And that was definitely a, a skill that I learned just how to plan out what you were going to do with the data and how to find it and um, use data and the software. And that was really exciting. I think that's like, that's what I understood the least about econ when I started, but was also the most interested in the sort of application of, of statistics and uh, in econ. So that was really exciting. And I think I really got to work with Denise on that. Obviously, I only used like two models, but still, it was a good, good experience in trying to like go through the, the literature and like understand how a model works and how you can apply it to your own data. That was really cool. And it felt very satisfying in the end to have a couple of models in my thesis. It's a big accomplishment. I'm <laughs> very terrified of even thinking about a thesis. It's strange how like you, I also felt the same way, but like through the, there's a process of like writing your proposals and stuff that it's just like, it just happens. Like you don't have a choice, but like also it happens pretty naturally. So yeah, don't worry too much. <laughs> Nice. That's, that's good to hear, at least. <laughs> so how do you think your thesis experience will inform your life after Reed? Um, so I definitely am even more interested in the topics of international and development economics after doing my thesis. Um, and that I slowly realized that that's, you know, what I was interested in. But working on my thesis, like, really made me sure that that's, that's where my interest and I'm going to go on to a master's in international development economics. So I think that's just like the experience of writing this thesis really helped me be sure that that's what I wanted to do. And through, through the process, I also got to apply to grad school. So it all came together. Well, I think that answers all my questions that I have. Thank you so much for talking with me about your thesis. Of course. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you, Soha, for your time and for telling us about your thesis and the amount and kinds of work that went into it. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again to talk to more seniors about their thesis and better understand why you'd want to burn your draft. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. This episode was produced and engineered by me, Reed College student Frank Tangerlini. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from staff member Joe Janiga. Nate Martin, staff member and alumnus, is our project manager. Music by student Jack Salvucci and podcast art by student Henry Gotchlik. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin. <laughs>